Mackie Saturday on the Poptimist. Hey, thanks for coming uh, coming over today to to join me, dude. Thanks for having me. This is kind of like a a little faithful situation, I think. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> we uh we met when I was an Uber slash Lyft driver. Was it a Lyft ride that I picked you up on? I think it, had it was. To have been. I don't really invest in Uber. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was Lyft. Um, and I had given you a ride. Your car was incognito at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, dead of winter, February 2020, just before the world ended. And um, I had gotten my car stolen, actually. And it was one of those dumb things where, like, I left the car running to keep it warm. I had, like, gone to the gym that morning, came back. And I, like, you know, it takes me, like, a total of 10 minutes to get ready for work. You know, I don't do that much. So I just kind of left the car running, which I'd done, I don't know, maybe three or four times before that. And I go get ready, come back out, and the car's gone. It's like, you know, it's 6.15 in the morning. And I, like, go back inside, and I'm, like, my first thought is, like, maybe I accidentally put it in drive. So, like, I go back outside, and I'm looking down the yard to see if maybe, like, it's just in the ditch. You know, maybe it just took off. And sure enough, it was gone. And so, yeah, I had to, I like had to wait the next day to get a rental car. So it just, it was just kind of like a serendipitous situation. Like it ended up in your, in your lift ride. Well, it was a serendipitous situation the second time too, because, um, I was playing at big machine. You were playing the shift right before me and yeah. I saw you on stage and I was like, Oh shit. Cause I saw you posted on Instagram earlier that day. You were wearing like this cool nineties looking shirt. That's my favorite shirt. <laughs> and uh, you, I walked in for the last song. You were doing Living on a Prayer, maybe? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it, you fucking killed it, man. It was so cool. Actually, that was that's not even on our list. That was like a request that we did, and I was kind of worried. I'm always worried about that, like, um, what was it, the modulation of the end where it just kind of goes up a yeah. whole step? So I, I think we even, like, planned on not doing it. I don't even remember if we did it or not, but... Yeah, actually, it turned out really great. Like, I don't think any of us had... I don't remember the last time I did that song, but I was like, man, this rocks. Well, <laughs> the uh, the 45-year-old ladies fucking oh, yeah. loved it. Yeah, they it were lit. so into it. <laughs> and it was cool, man. It was really popping in there. That that was maybe my second, sh like, full shift that I've played on Broadway. I had gone to sit in a bunch of times for, like, an hour or two um, with the reveal, but... Uh, seeing you like the crowd was already primed up they were they were warmed and ready to go yeah that's what we're pretty good at getting everybody excited getting people in there and to just kind of start the day but yeah i remember like i i saw you get up there and i was like that's him like it was really weird i recognized you immediately yeah but i was it's been you know it'd been three years or so so i was like i don't know if he remembers me i mean the same thing with the guys from the reveal like i know dusty and I, I've met um, the guitar player. Josh Norfleet. There you go. I yeah. remember his last name. I never remember his first name. Um, a couple of times, you know, I've, I've played shows with them with early stages of Eat Sleep Rock. Uh, but I just, you know, it's just been so long. You know, I, I try not to assume people would remember me because, I don't know, I, I, I think I undercut myself a little bit. I'm just like, eh, they probably don't remember who I am. But So you've, you knew... Uh, Dusty and them, like, from your first go-around in Nashville? Yeah. Yeah, like, me and Dusty, I remember we played some kind of, like, acoustic 
songwriter thing in like a brewery or something like that no it was like a it's like a market like some kind of put together market um where eat sleep rock had a little tent there and we we're all taking turns oh, doing like i remember a couple what, of songs what was this called wicked market was or no maybe where what do you where was it it was i think it was down by 12 south it was like a little park Man. area, but I don't remember where. Yeah, see, at that point, I wasn't like really involved, and so, but I do. Rem- I know what you're talking. I can envision the poster. Yeah, but I, I, I can't remember it. Yeah, I did. I did that. We played, I think, a show on the same, either the same bill or we were all there at the Mockingbird Theater. Um, I know that was like with the AOKs. Classic Eat Sleep Rock lineup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, and I think AOKs. I think Daylight Centers were playing too. Like I haven't heard that name in forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Daylight Daylight Centers uh, no longer exist. Damn. But uh they played their last show here in this basement where you're sit where you guys are sitting. Was it that long ago or was this more recent? This was more recent because they right? This was the, oh wait, you know what? Not their second to last show. They did play one more show after that at the five spot. Okay. That Eat Sleep Rock put on. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, they played here for July fourth of. Would that have been twenty one? I think so, because that was really the first time that we had met. It yeah. was brief, but I didn't really know Danny back then, because Norfleet played that Daylight Center show as well. Yeah, and that was July 4th, and that I think that was the second to last. That was right before like, where'd they shows go? here were no more. So Liam, he's in L.A. now, right? Liam Liam Kelly? Yeah. Uh, or I I, but He's splitting his time between L.A. and Detroit or something like that. He's got a new band that he's playing in, but I, I can't remember what the name of it is. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, But Scotty... Was Scotty Scotty was in the band back then, right? He was in Daylight Centers. Yeah, he was the bass player. Yeah, he was in the AOKs for a while too, right? Yeah, and Scotty's also in Garden of Eden. Yeah, that I know. Yeah, play that a couple of times. Yeah, which by the way, uh, just for for the purpose of letting people know, we do have a show. Garden of Eden is on that bill, right? This this Saturday. They're opening. Yep the the Garden of Eden, Norfleet, and Tennessee Muscle Candy. Have you seen Tennessee Muscle Candy before? I haven't. I was looking on her Instagram earlier. They're fucking good, dude. Yeah. Alexis is good as fuck. She sat in with the reveal um, a couple of weeks ago, and she did a she did a shift with them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She's she's a very good performer. Uh, I I will go as far as saying she's an electrifying performer, earth shaking. Sold. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. So super excited for that show this Saturday, uh, the twentieth, over at the East Room. Uh, so thanks to Eat Sleep Rock for for putting that on. That's awesome. It should be a good one. It's definitely great to see that Eat Sleep Rock is still going. I know, um, like, Tara had to step away from that. Yeah, so what happened, um, it's funny, I don't actually even know how much I've ever talked about on the podcast, but no. it's fine. I mean, me yeah, and, I mean if it's... Uh, no, no, it's yeah. fine. Tara and I are cool, so basically, um, Tara and I, she kind of, like you said, she wasn't able to, like, spend as much time doing it. And so she brought me in as like a 50-50 partner. I was already kind of helping with booking at that yeah. point. And uh, and then we did like the 50-50 partner thing for I think a little over a year. And then I just kind of was like, hey, it doesn't seem like you have a ton of time to do this. And she lives in Franklin now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we still chat here and there. Um, in fact, she had a show a couple months ago at Kimbrough's. Um, 
that me and Scotty and Dusty went to just to kind of pop in and say what's up. So, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have nothing but love and respect for uh, Tara and Waters. I don't know if you know yeah, uh, yeah. Waters very well. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, they, they put on some pretty awesome shows um, in you know, 2018, 2019, and like the early part of 2020. That was really happy to be part of. And it's, I mean, it's crazy coming back to Nashville. I guess we can say post-pandemic now. I think that officially came out. Yeah, recently. yeah. Um, like, so much has changed. I mean, like, there's so much, there's so many more pre-booked gigs happening, but there's not as much easy access um, showcases, like open mics. And, um, like, we they used to do, like, the Sunday thing. Um, it, it was, like, it was in, like, I think it was in Midtown or something like that. Oh, uh, whiskey yeah. jam. Uh, it was a whiskey jam. We used to was... do analog or uh, something. You're talking about Eat Sleep Rock, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think at the uh, the analog analogs or wait, is analog downtown? I'll... Yeah, analog. It's it's, it's it's over by Vanderbilt. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of something. There's something that they used to book that's over in Midtown. I know what you're talking about. It's over by like uh, like Tin Roof and Two Bits. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the name. Right off the top of my the Hutton head. Hotel, it's oh. right at the bottom of the Hutton Hotel. Oh yeah, right? that's yeah, it is the yeah, yeah, yeah that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, um, so it's it's been an interesting time navigating this kind of like new version of Nashville, um, and it's I mean, especially as someone who's pretty much starting from scratch, you know, like the last couple of years has been a whirlwind. It's like the tornado came through, I got swept up in it, and like I just landed back on Earth. I mean. I've been here for a year now, and I like just in the last probably two months, I feel like I have my head on straight. So it's been um, it's been a pretty wild couple of years. Yeah. So you, did you leave during the pandemic? I left um, August first, twenty twenty. It's and that's another funny thing about the pandemic. I feel like anything substantial that's happened to anybody, they remember specific dates. Yeah. There's something weird about that. Like you, you couldn't get lost in society that much so it's just like anything you did that was major you're just like i remember the the day the time i think it was a monday like i left um the first of august 2020 i mean like the tornado was still pretty fresh in the area um that summer like downtown and kind of reopened and i played some gigs with some pretty awesome guys um but at, like by the time that all happened i had already signed a lease and like made huge commitments and I remember talking to you like you know I was pretty I was really one foot in one foot out like I'd been there for I think coming on two years and it just like I wasn't really sure what I was looking for everything was happening so fast around you that like you feel like you're moving in slow motion and like I didn't really know what to do and honestly I like I think had the pandemic never happened it would have been a completely different story but I feel like the pandemic was just like, okay, I I need to go back where I know things because I don't know what's happening now. Yeah. It changed everything. So it just um I left the first of August and kind of wanted to come back ever since. I, it was one of those things where like you you get back to where you think you're gonna be more comfortable and it's like the realization of how much you've changed hits you like a bookshelf that just falls over on Did you. Did you go back to your hometown? I went back to Sacramento, yeah. Okay. 
me and a couple of old friends, we got a house together and really just, just I mean, pretty much rided, rode out the pandemic like together. Um, and one of them, my friend Graham, actually moved here um, a year before I did. Finally talked him into doing it. <laughs> Probably one of the best drummers I, I know. I mean, like, and I don't really know where I was going with that. That was kind of like its own statement. He's one of the best drummers I've I've ever known. And we've known each other for a very long time. And I'm I'm happy he followed that advice. I don't know. Like it's been a it's been a rough ride for him too, being here in Nashville. But um, it's the only place where like you can be your own entity, no matter what you're doing. Whether you're a singer, guitar player, bass player, drummer, flutist, saxophone player, it doesn't like you're not a a member of a band. You're not like a um a filler to like fill up a hole in somebody's like vision like you are a professional musician that has all the possibilities and opportunities as anybody who might seem like more of the chosen by the audience like a lot of other places a lot of other music scenes like singers and guitar players are starting things you don't really have you have bass players and drummers doing it but it's not as often and like it took moving away from Nashville to really understand Nashville like it just works on a completely different level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I grew up in Maine, so there, there's not really a music scene there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, you basically there, it's like the way you can make money is by putting together a wedding band and playing and doing that in the summertime. And then in the winter, you just teach lessons yep. or you become a music teacher at a school or something like that. But for me... I kind of saw what my future was there and I just knew there's nothing really for me here. Yeah. Um, and I had moved out to Colorado and the year that I spent out there, I mean, Colorado is an amazing place. Have you ever been there? I've, I've spent maybe like a weekend in Denver. That's yeah. It. It's, it's an amazing place. I feel like in a, a dating scenario, like it was a girl that I really liked, but it was just never going to work. We were in different places in our lives, you know? Um, If it would have been a different time, it would have been a different place, then maybe I would still be out there. But I didn't really get involved much in the music scene there. I worked at this place called Wildwood Guitars, which is an incredible shop. It's like a famous place. They make their own guitars there, right? They don't make their own guitars, but they have a lot of relationships with... Fender with Gibson with all kinds of boutique dealers so they have everything from like Mexi strats to high-end custom shop shit wow. um, so I got to learn a lot about guitars and tones and it just taught me a lot in the time that I lived there and I just got very inverted not necessarily I wouldn't describe myself as an introvert but I was smoking so much weed I not <laughs> dealt with any of my trauma or any of my bullshit from life um, that I, I just didn't really interact with anybody. I, I didn't really, I had friends, I had a couple of friends, but as a, a 21 year old young man living out there, I, I should have taken advantage. Like I was living right outside of Boulder, you know, which mm. is a, a huge party town, but I was just so scared of everything. I was so far from home. Um, and I didn't really know anybody there other than the owner of Wildwood who, uh, you know, he's like, he was like a 60 year old dude at the time. So like he had a family and shit. Um, 
but yeah, I didn't really do anything musically out there. And then when I was 18, I lived down in South Florida and the scene down there is very despondent. I, I, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I played in this band um, with my friend Kurt Riley called Brighthead. And it was an amazing experience. It was my first gig really out of high school. We just played shows. We rehearsed. All the normal bullshit of, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to try and make it. That fell apart in like six months uh, for various reasons, normal life reasons. And uh, then eventually I just moved back to Maine. And in the back of my mind, when as I was leaving Colorado, I, I knew I was going to move to Nashville. Hmm. Like I was in a cab. This was pre-Uber. Um, I was in a cab on the way to the airport, and I was like, I'm going to move to Nashville. That's so wild. Like, it, I wish it would have occurred to me, like, 10 years ago that Nashville was a place to move to. Like, I grew up, like a lot of rock guys do, listening to 80s hair metal. I don't know what it is about that, but I, don't, I can't tell you how many people my age or even younger are just like, this is where it all started. It was just like 80s hair metal. Poison was my life. I think I saw Poison Def Leppard probably like six times in a year. Is it just they would always come through in Virginia Beach where I lived, and it was always a dream of mine to move to L.A. Like that was the place. I had no idea what L.A. modern time was like. I had no idea if it still existed the same way that it did in the '80s. You just like that's what you the loved. romantic image. Yeah, the romantic yeah. image. And I mean, even still today, like having lived there for a little while, like I still have such a romantic image of L.A. Um, but I wish like when I finally moved to California with some friends of mine, we moved to Sacramento um, and our other friend um, moved here, which was kind of a weird thing, like he started listening to country be kind of started working on becoming more of a professional guitar player which we really didn't notice at the time <laughs> he was just hanging out with different people and we were all upset about it but he really was trying to take himself to a new level and it took a long time to kind of understand that process and when he moved to Nashville it kind of made sense for us we we moved to Sacramento with the idea to later move to LA we just didn't have the guts to just move to LA, you know, yeah. like it was kind of a safer choice. Um, and honestly, like that was, I was, I was 28 when I did that, you know, like I just never had the balls to really jump into a car and like hope for the best. I've always wanted to, but it took me so long to finally build up that steam. Well, you're here now. So I know, <laughs> I mean, like since I left, I've done so much moving around just yeah. this. And so I've I've learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the things that I was doing to cause myself to not get where I wanted to go. Like the idea of being famous, the idea of making it, like that belief was like me shooting myself in the foot over and over again because I had no idea how to do it. I had I I still have very hard time like actually being disciplined in working hard, you know, musically, you know. And so you th you don't realize, like, oh, that's me. I'm the one who makes it. I'm the one who makes me make it. You know, like, I grew up, not to age myself, I don't think I'm old, but I grew up just before social media. Like, Facebook came out when I was, I think, a senior in high school. Yeah. So, like, all this stuff of, like, selfies and social media fame and all this stuff, 
I was like already wired right before all that happened. Yeah. So in my head, especially when it came to music, it was all about record deals. You're supposed to be given a record deal by somebody who approves of you finally, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it it took honestly till finally moving back here this time to be like, okay, no one is going to do this for me. Whatever it is that I'm doing now, it's mine and it's me and whether it gets anywhere or not, I have myself to thank for it. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like I'm pretty much just starting completely over. Like I had released some music with the touch um, back in like 2019. I think I'm kind of revamping one or two of those songs, but everything else is going to get scrapped and like we're going to start over with all new music and kind of just see where it goes. It's It's wild. There's freedom, I think, in rebuilding. Yeah. And kind of learning from past mistakes. It's like, it's weird for me sometimes because I've been here uh, for going on eight years now. And I can't believe that. This is the place that I've spent the longest in my adult life now. Yeah. Um, I did five moves in five years cro- across states. Um, and it was crazy looking back on it. From like 18 to 23 or 24, I, I moved all the all those states, you know? And like, I think I just didn't know any better of how hard it was. I was just dumb as fuck, dude. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just pure arrogance of I'll be fine. But you don't know what's on the other end. I was too dumb to know <laughs> that I was going to have consequences. But you know what the crazy thing about that is? Like, you learn that you are going to be fine. Yeah. Like, to me, I did the same thing before the pandemic, and especially in the pandemic. I went from, in three years' time, I lived in Sacramento, L.A., San Francisco, and now here. So, like... I think most people, like, their sense of security is very physical. Like, it's very, like, it's a certain type of surrounding that they need to have and make sure they have before they make any kind of thing like that. Whereas, like, when you're, I mean, I'll I'll say it too. Like, when you're dumb enough to just try something new, you, it feels weird sometimes, but you really build a sense of security, like, inside yourself. Yeah. Like, there's no... There's really no, like, sense of, like, failing when, I don't know, like, to me, just doing it, like, getting in a car and going is, like, its own accomplishment. Yeah. Anything every, anything beyond that is icing on the cake, you know? And it's, like... Absolutely. It's, it's something that not everybody gets to find out about themselves. Well, it, it, I think, to a lot of people, it's that first initial step of getting in the car that's that that honestly for real is the hardest part yeah um but that that's the part for me that i've never had trouble with but it gets harder as you get older and risk becomes more apparent of the moves you have to make you know because time changes it's like i can't i can't do what i was doing when i was 25 like i'm i'm booked to absolute fucking shit this week my schedule is packed i'm stressed as fuck i'm like how am i gonna get all of this done but i'm gonna survive this week i'm gonna get through it and then um 
it's like every now and then you have a hell week. Yeah. And that that's what I, I have this week. Um, but I also know from experience not to have multiple weeks like this in a row. I can't run like a month and a half straight yeah. on a week like this. Just filled. Well, it's, a, it's a good problem to have, you know? I yeah. Mean- no, it, it is for sure. Like the, the opportunities are starting to come up because I had a long period of kind of inactivity, you know, and in the time, the fact that like seeing each other and all that shit, like I, I was playing for... Violet Moons, the Weird Sisters, getting booked on gigs, doing all sorts of shit in East Nashville, got really sick, stepped away from pretty much everything except oh, the wow. podcast, had to rebuild my entire life. I was back at square one. Now I'm just starting to gear up to start firing on all cylinders again. That's awesome. Um, but sometimes it takes the hell weeks in order to be, you know, three weeks from now, have four nights booked and be comfortable with that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like the one thing I'm nervous about right now is like, which is kind of, it's, it's weird to think that far ahead because I don't think I'm even close to being there yet. But like, especially with singing, doing stuff downtown or doing like original gigs is like, right now, my voice needs like probably three or four days just to get back to talking normal. Like after, after a shift on, on Sunday, yeah, on Broadway, just, like my voice is like this for like a, a good solid day. And you're just like, man, this is not right. I mean, people are playing three, four nights in a row. And I'm just like, how are you guys doing this? And I'm trying to get to know people just so I can learn what they're doing with their voice, what they're not doing. I mean, obviously, like drinking has a hand in it, but, you know, we all have our vices. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a work in progress. Yeah, well, it's like playing down down on Broadway. It, it can really beat up your body pretty good, you know, especially the the people pulling doubles. Yeah, because um, it's like playing two days in a row, halfway through the second shift, that Sunday shift. <laughs> like my back was killing me, my knee was killing me, my shoulder was killing me. Like my whole body was aching. It's still fun to play. It doesn't take away from it, but you're riding that adrenaline while you're on stage. And then afterwards, you're just like, oh, fuck. You're like limping back to your car. Dude, that gig last, what was it? I guess it was not this past Sunday, but the one before that, the whole Taylor Swift weekend. Oh, dude, it was insane. Nobody was coming into Big Machine. And that was probably the hardest shift I've played. Just no requests. Maybe there was like, I think, two people that even like remotely gave a shit. Like the other people, they'd sit at the table and you're like, hey, you're sitting here. What What is happening? You look awful. You look bored. And there's just nothing. Like, no reaction. No, like, yeah, nothing. You're just like, dude, this is a chore. The irony that Big Machine was empty because of a Taylor Swift concert. Right? Like, I don't know that much about Taylor Swift, to be honest. I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. I, I know that, like... That was the label that signed her, and I'm assuming something yeah. went bad. Um, but it's just like that was so long ago that I, from what I hear, Swifties don't forget, dude. Well, and that, I was talking <laughs> to somebody about that today. It was just like it amazes me that someone who is like a megalith of a like famous person, right? Like money is no object to her, even with rewriting or re-recording those songs so that she can own the catalog like money is not an object she is like such on a level that no one can understand and yet somehow she has figured out how to enrage 
like a lower middle class of people about something that they could never understand or even grasp. And it's somehow has turned into such a simple problem. Oh, we just don't like them because they did something bad to her. It's like, who is she? She's like a robot. Dude. Like she's not even human. She's the, okay. <laughs> so despite me playing at Big Machine on occasion, this is not a reflection of the reveal whatsoever. I'm just going to throw that out there. Hillary or uh, Taylor Swift is the Hillary Clinton of Nashville. I'm pretty sure she drinks baby's blood. <laughs> I mean, like her her face is just like inhumanly perfect yeah. all the time. That was the first thing I ever thought about her, and it's never left. And it's just like it's so funny to me. Like it's, I can't. It's like I can't relate to somebody who is just inhuman looking. Yeah. You're like I don't care what happened to your she's, record label. You're not a person. She's perfect. <laughs> um, like she she looks. Like AI created her, right, you know what right. I mean? She Who might knows? be a, she might be a robot for yeah. all we know. Um, but yeah, I mean her her dad, you know how she went platinum. Mm-mm. So her first record, Danny, you might be able to tell this story better than I can. I know, I know. Well, so you know who her dad is, correct? It's like Swift Company, like Swift Trucks, yeah. like the the ones that you see everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. pretty much. And so he basically put up a million dollars, like legitimately for her first album and it was like professionally produced and then he it was like pitched to labels um and then also just on the note of what we were talking about as far as why she left big machine it says here that um her what she stated was that she had tried to purchase the masters um her or her own masters but uh, big machine gave her unfavorable conditions so she switched to <laughs> universal I well, guess that's, that's not even a bad thing. That no, is no, 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 transaction. Not. Definitely not. Yeah, big machines like we shouldn't do that because we're making a lot of money. Off right. Of this. Well, and considering how much money her and her dad has, like the the offer had to have been immense. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It's like people down here on Earth they don't understand any of that. Like it amazes me that any of them are like actually mad. It's like. How is that possible? How do you have, I mean, I don't know. You sing a song, you have like 8,000 people help write a song that, you know, 15-year-old girls relate to. And it's just like, okay, I get it. It's, I don't know. It's an industry. The music business is a business. Well, I, I, I feel like I am the advocate for other musician friends of mine to help them understand these sim- simplicities with audience members. A lot of musicians, what they really want to do, they want to be as technically perfect as humanly possible. Because when, I don't know about you guys, but growing up in a smaller town, you didn't know how to entertain an audience. You played to the guys in the back of the room with their arms crossed who were just like judging you the whole time because they were like musicians in a different band. Or they knew about music and they were unimpressed like you had some weird need to impress those guys not the like number of people drinking and just trying to have a good time in front of you yeah and that carries i think like the better of a musician you are it's kind of thanks to that need for weird approval and so you're like dude there are millions upon millions of people who do not understand music or the music industry at all all they want to do is feel something 
remotely close to what you're talking about in your song. And if you can do that, you will win over so many more people than musicians. Like the love comes from the non-music, the non-musically inclined. The brain comes from the musician, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I like playing on Broadway, you get a lot of people that are one way or the other. Like my friend Graham, he is a, he's a, he's a time, <laughs> um, he's just really strict on like timing. You know, he never speeds up. He never slows down. He chooses the tempo and he gets a little irritated at people who, who can't follow it. Cause you get excited. You want to like speed up the tempo, whatever. And then there's some people that speed up all over the place because they just, they just lose it. Yeah. And you know, it's like that kind of middle harmony where you can have a great time and then also like not move to like a million miles an hour playing, you know, I don't know, some song. Yeah. For me, I, my timing is pretty good, but I've learned I can't have a drop of alcohol while I'm playing because my time goes out the fucking window as a bassist. I think I'll get there at some point. Right now, I definitely like I have a steady stream of alcohol that I drink because I have I, like I'm a nervous guy. Like when I'm on stage, especially with people you don't know in a situation, you're not sure how it's going to go. Like your mind is just racing. Oh, yeah. And so I just like I don't drink hard. I used to. I definitely blacked out a few times on stage on Broadway. Just you're not used to the amount of drinks someone hands you. and You're just like, I don't have anywhere to put this guess it's going in my stomach you know yeah man that was that was awful but um yeah i don't know i still get i still get that kind of like new person nerves where like like, all right i'm just gonna keep ordering whiskey shots and just slowly sip on them until the show's over yeah i I, for me i i still get those those nerves too i i was freaking the fuck out before i that weekend of playing with them where it was like i there wasn't another person on stage with us. It was just the three of us. So Dustin was playing drums. He normally plays bass. That's what I thought. But um, he's an amazing fucking drummer. But the the cool thing is, since Dustin is also a bass player, he knows the entire set on bass as well. So if we got a request or we got a song I wasn't familiar with, he was shouting changes at me as they were about (laughs) to come up. And he was cueing me from behind the drum set because he's a bass player as well. yeah. So that that kind of eased my nerves a little bit. And what Josh had told me, he's like, dude, it's fucking Broadway. He's like, we do Broadway versions of the of the songs. Because, yeah. like, so many players that play down there, they get burned out as well. I'm still excited and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. about it. But I think if I was doing it 24-7, like, all the time, I don't know if I would feel that way. I think I would get get burned out like right now i'm happy just doing it every now and then yeah and enjoying it as it's happening um because I, I get so fucking stressed I out totally dude. agree like i'm i've seen friends of mine that have played full-time down there and they still do and it scares me it's scary because like it's just a different type of world and i'll be honest like i've gotten used to working a day job right where you can you can take holidays and pto and your insurance is good and all this stuff you get kind of comfortable with that but i i don't know it's just like the last thing i'd ever want to do at least at the moment is need to like rely on gigs so i can pay for my insurance or pay for 
you know, a, a weekend trip somewhere. Cause it's like the money differs all the time. Yeah. And when it becomes about the money, it's just a different version of a job. You know, is it really a dream come true at that point? I, I don't know. That's, it's more like existential, but you know, it, it's it's a question I'm just not really ready to answer. I enjoy it. I love playing downtown because I don't do it very often. Yeah, and like I want to kind of inch into like, okay, let's get another gig maybe by like the end of the summer. See what two gigs a week is like, and just slowly move into that. Whereas like my friend Graham, he's just like, I want to play doubles. I want to play every day, all day. I just want to do what friends of mine have done, and they're doing great. And it's just like. All right, man. You know. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about the hustle, Danny, because um, we have a bunch of friends who play down there. Yeah. And um, the burnout thing is real, dude. Like once once you start relying on it to pay your bills, shit changes. And is it better or is it worse? I don't know. I think it's different for sure. Yeah. You your days are pretty much free. You can do whatever you want all day. You just have to be ready for that four hour gig that night, or if you're working a double. I, I feel like I don't I'm open to taking my life down that path, but the thing is you can really only do it for a set amount of time. Right. And I feel like the people who do it really smart, downtown is a is a stepping stone that they use to help fund their original endeavors. That's what the reveal is doing. Yeah. They've basically paid for their record, hired really good producers gone to recording studios done all that stuff um to be able to to do that um they, they were playing down on broadway yeah um so th there's many different ways to to skin a cat but not to speak for them i mean they've probably yeah. gone on record and talked i think they've talked about this on the podcast yeah well and dustin says that uh that's like really why they play broadway was to fund this album i mean it that to me is the perfect balance i mean like, I've talked to a friend of mine um, who, who's been playing downtown full-time for, I don't know, the better part of, like, six or seven years. And we kind of get to the same point. And honestly, it's it's more like standing outside and looking in and building an opinion on it rather than just jumping in and, and seeing how it goes. But, you know, it does turn into, like, another full-time job with its own ups and downs and... um. I don't know. I've, I've just like music has always been a dream to me. So if I'm going to make it a reality, I want to make it like the dream version of a reality, you know, like I want to be able to go on tour and play different places, have recordings and albums coming out regularly, singles and things like that. And then playing live downtown to kind of help supplement it all. And I think that to me is where Nashville really differs from other cities because Playing in cover bands everywhere else sucks. I mean, I played I played in a couple different cover bands in California. I played in cover bands in Virginia. You know, the bar band is the funnest thing. It's also probably, like, the raunchiest. You know, you're playing, like, like I said, garage band versions of covers. The the pay ranges from anywhere to, like, two, three hundred bucks to, like, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. But usually if it's on that end, you have like sound, lighting, um, you know, probably like a business account that needs to be paid for, taxes and all that stuff. I remember I played for a casino um, band for 
maybe a year, maybe on and off for two years. And like, I think I made a total in a year of like $700 because it's just the cost, which I was never really given the full length or full scope of. It's just so high. You know, you pay for all this other stuff and it's just not the same. You don't have the audience. You don't have the energy. You don't have the community. You don't have the dreams that like everyone shares here. It's just, it's on a different level. And I feel like the hardest part is when you end up playing doubles and triples and you get that burnout because it kind of, you're not only burning yourself out physically, but you're also kind of burning out that dream aspect, that lifeblood that makes you feel like you're doing something that normal people don't get to do. They can only think about. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, is a dream come true like when even when i was doing uber and lyft people would always ask like tourists about nashville and what it was like and ask me about being a musician and all that shit i i have so many of my followers on instagram were from doing uber and lyft i was like follow me follow me follow me um but uh they would always ask about it and this was really before i was doing the broadway thing I knew about it just because I had buddies that did it, but I hadn't done it myself. So it was just more so them telling me about it. Mm. So um, I would tell people what's up. And it's it's so funny because when you talk to someone who's not doing it, they, um, you know, just working a standard nine to five somewhere in their hometown. And there's there's nothing wrong with living, living that life at all. But it, I think it looks probably way more romantic and glamorous than yeah. it actually is because yep. there's all the horse shit that comes along <laughs> with it sometimes literal yeah 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 <laughs> if you play down on broadway absolutely um but yeah i mean it's people had always asked me like what's it like to be a musician and live in nashville honestly man this is all i really know as a functioning adult like living living in this city and living in this lifestyle cuz like those 5 years that I spent kind of moving around and bouncing back and forth between other places in the US and having to move back home to Maine cuz either I was broke or depressed whatever um I would still consider that like adolescence for the most part wasn't until 25 or 26 where I started coming online and started owning all the problems that I was having in my life and with people in my life. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, I'm the cause of this. I'm the cause of this. I respond this way whenever someone says this thing to me. And once I started figuring that out, I felt like I started working a lot better with other people. I took shit a lot less personal. Um, I think my my standards also increased. I, I have like a very critical inner self voice Um, and I think that's what keeps me moving and what keeps me driven to always strive for for better but it's also on the other hand as a younger man I was very abusive to myself where it was just constantly not good enough not good enough not good enough Um, now if something's not good enough I can tell myself I fell a little short in delivering here do I have to own this with anybody else? Yeah. Firstly, I have, you have to own it with yourself once right. it happens. Um, and do I owe anybody else like a conversation? 
doesn't even have to necessarily be an apology. Um, but a conversation with them of like, Hey, I fuck this up. Um, how do you think I can, I can do better? But that's what is so valuable. I would say about having a friend group, like having the reveal, having the weird sisters. I'm still really good friends with the weird sisters. I don't see them often, but when I do it, you just get sucked into the weird sisters void. (laughs) You know, you fall, you fall into the abyss with them. Um, but just all the friends that I've accumulated over, over the years, I think that would be the hardest thing for me to leave because I, I think about leaving for sure. It's not consistent that I think that way, but I think about like what would it be like to move back to Colorado now that I'm a, like an adult and I have an <laughs> idea about life. Could, could I set up a life out there? Um, I can move back down to Miami where my sister is. You know, I think we all make a lot of sacrifices to be able to live this lifestyle because music is not just a career. It's a fucking lifestyle. And I mean, I think this is the only place that I've lived that it's a respected lifestyle. You don't get those questions when you're living in Norfolk, Virginia, you know, and you're like, yeah, I'm a musician. Like, that's what you do for work. It's like, well, I mean, you know, trying. You get made fun of. Yeah. Like living in Sacramento, like, there's a little bit more of a music scene, but there's still very much that, like, why do you do this? Like, why don't you grow up? You know, why don't you have an adult job? L.A., you still kind of get made fun of because it's a bit of a cliche down there. It totally is. But everybody's a cliche down there. So, you know, you kind of just laugh at it and give them the finger and walk on. My family's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, my my family's from L.A., and I remember when I was a kid... I told my, she asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up and I was like playing guitar. I was like in a guitar class and was like starting a band and I told her I wanted to be a musician and her legitimate response was, you should be an actor. Musicians are dirty. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it is true. <laughs> shout out to Graham. <laughs> a shout out to Dustin, dude. <laughs> he is dirty. He is the living, <laughs> is living embodiment of that. Dustin, Dustin has made... Probably more sacrifice. I don't want to say more sacrifices than anybody I know, but he has been the most fucking dedicated. Huh. Um, and Danny and I, we, we've, I've been friends with Dustin pretty much since I've been in Nashville. But seeing him, like, there have been times where Dustin has really pissed me off. But he has always been dedicated to his craft and bettering himself. Huh. Um, Dan- yeah, true. yeah, Danny's seen it. Definitely yeah. dedicated to that rusting angry face. Oh, dude. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dust. We'll just say <laughs> it. Rusting, rusting bitch face. Yeah. Dustin has it. Um, but yeah, man, it's just like all the different characters you meet. I think that would be the hardest thing for me to leave in Nashville. It's like all these people because everybody who moves here, it's the best. They're the best at wherever their hometown is. Yeah. For the most part. Well, and it's not even just musicians here. Like I feel like the passion for musicians that the passion that musicians give off the energy is so collective here that it rubs off on other people like i know people that moved here for corporate jobs and they quit to become photographers and now they're like tour photographers and full-time wedding photographers i mean like there's people here that moved here for like the tech industry and now they just do like videography or they do producing and like they just it you can't help it you move here and you're like I'm not a musician. 
I don't want to go down on Broadway. It's so loud. It's so disgusting. And then five years from now, you are like a completely different person. Like, it's it's totally game-changing. And I think that's why Nashville is becoming such a like conscious permanent decision for so many people because you don't you don't realize that kind of energy that you're in all the time you don't notice it it happens over time you change you don't know you change until you go back somewhere else and you hang out with your old cynical friends who hate a bunch of stuff and all they want to do is talk shit and that's what's fun to them and their version of being helpful is criticizing you all the time and all this stuff you like you come back and you're like, dude, what the fuck is this? This was my life. Yeah. I used to hang around this every day for years. And you just like you're like, dude, I'm going back. Like this is this is too much. Yeah, it was tough for me moving down here because I had like my family's always been pretty supportive of me playing music, so that's never really been an issue. But really everybody else in Maine except for a, a handful of people were very critical of my decision to move to Nashville. And it was really hard for me. Not like I, I always kind of been like an, I, I don't give a fuck person. I was very abrasive when I was younger. Yeah. So I, I wasn't afraid to get into it with someone, but it was still hard because I felt like everybody kind of turned their back on me. And then even to a certain degree now, it's like I don't exist because I left. Well, they have to. Because like if they join in the spirit, what does that mean for their life? You know, most people, I mean, it, it's not something to say like as a rude thing, but most people, they they close their that part of their mind at some point. Mm-hmm. And they affirm that they're like that that door closing they wall it in with that just wasn't a possibility it's not real it's not this it's not that and when someone else is like fuck this i'm going for it they don't have the ability to open that door back up and be supportive because that changes their life yeah and it's just like i said it's not a wrong thing i mean it just is it's, yeah it, it, it's how people move forward yeah, it's it's it can be tough to to navigate those waters because they're a little bit murky. Yeah, because there is no real answer for a right way or a wrong way to do things or the way to live your life. You just have to figure it out as you go. You just kind of have to make it make it up. That literally is life. You're just literally like guessing until you die. Yeah, but the problem is that society has pretended to make this rule of thumb like well this is what life is you go through this lane and then on the end of it is retirement you spend 15 years kind of scuffling around with what you've got left of yourself and you know some money that hopefully you put away the last 40 and um honestly i think like the next i don't know bunch of decades moving forward we're gonna see so much breakdown of the like previous generation like corporate life once the boomers Career. die, dude. I mean, I don't even think it needs to take that. I think there's enough people just... I mean, A, I think there's a lot of supportive boomers out there. You know, I don't think they're all closed off. I think they are are kind of quietly rooting for the people who are taking these chances because they 
they it was like beaten out of them sometimes literally you yeah. know like you can't dream so I honestly think moving forward, we have people like they're making careers off the internet. They're making, I mean, hell, even OnlyFans, like that is a, just, it's a middle finger to the societal like construct that's been built. Totally. Well, it, the pandemic, it was another thing that really revealed that because why is someone going to fucking, like a hot 23 year old girl, why is she going to be a fucking waitress at Chili's when she could just take pictures of her feet, dude? Yeah. And make a living that way. Hell yeah. It's the American way. It's the American dream. Well, and also, like, why try and go do porn at a porn studio when you can just diddle yourself on camera from your Yeah, it's so much safer. Like, it's Seriously. I don't know. I'm in full support of that stuff, and I'm not saying that as a pervert. I'm totally a pervert, but that's besides the point. (laughs) I'm like, it's just, it's it's different, and it's, it's such a success. That is what drives me crazy it's just like it's not like oh well they're they're only going to do it for like a couple years and then they're going to have to get a job these people are making like infinite numbers of money beyond like anybody buying mansions yeah like making rent at some place in italy in like a 24-hour period and it's just like good for you like i don't even know how to have the balls to do that but i would if i did I like I think about it sometimes just like I don't know. I don't know what guys do on OnlyFans but shit, you know, like there's just like the internet provides so much more than we even now realize, especially with AI and like what is it that chat chat GPT whatever GPT, GPT yeah. yeah. There's so much going on with that, like so many opportunities. I feel like we're going to see the next version of T-Pain in the music industry, like someone who just takes full advantage of the basically auto-tune of today, which is that and well it's already happening that there's uh these record labels are starting to lobby to ban ai versions of songs of their artists that they're signed to um like there was a drake and weekend song i didn't listen to it but i saw a bunch of headlines about it did you, did you see anything about that Mm-mm. i guess their labels are or label whatever it is is i don't know if they're suing someone or what they're trying to do because like who do you sue you know, do you, exactly. do you do you sue the people who created it? Do you sue the person who made the AI song? Like, well, where does it wild, go? What's wild is like, if the AI writes this song, who owns that song? Let me ask you this: In the next five years, are we gonna see an AI artist blow up? Oh, probably. Yeah. I mean, especially now with like the kind of cartoonish and like multimedia uh, avatars that we're making for like Instagram, social media, it's going to start off with like maybe there's pictures of an actual person that maybe somebody like licensed and allowed to have. And then they'll just kind of turn that over to like an animated version to where there's some history, some memory of a real person. And then you'll just never see that person again. They'll blow up. I mean, how often do you see most of these people anyway? Yeah, you just listen to them. And the more AI gets better at making things look real, the more we're going to assume somewhere out there is that person, and they just won't be. I mean, it's 100%. Like, I don't even see... And it's... It's disheartening a little bit, because I'm the type of artist that really believes in, like, the human aspect of music, 
like the live performance, the live playing thereof, the group of people making a sound work. I love DJ music. I love like just getting insanely like hammered or whatever and like just dancing for hours. But, you know, I, I just I grew up in that time just before the cusp of all that happened. So like to me, like it's just not the same. And it's not that you shouldn't use these things. You should use any piece of technology that helps you like be more creative but it shouldn't be the end all and it shouldn't be the start and the finish and i i mean honestly if that's what they're trying to sue against is like allowing people to use that i'm i'm kind of into it like i don't know like it's the same thing with autotune you know like it got way out of hand for a long time it still kind of is in like hip-hop and trap music but overall it just became a tool for studios to use to help people tune their voices just like it always was supposed to and so, you, you know, it comes and goes, becomes an ordinary, everyday thing. That's what I hope AI becomes in the music industry. It's just something to help, not the thing to replace. But you never know. I mean, it's just AI is supposed to make human life easier by removing our need to do a thing. But our need to do a thing is the thing that gives us purpose. I don't think we can even fathom what life is going to be like once AI is fully mainstream. Right now, I feel like we're in the MySpace days of AI. Yeah. Where it's like, this is this thing. Some of these people know about it and are using using it. Like South Park did an episode on it that we were watching a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's just crazy to think about like, what is it going to be like five years from now or 10 years from now with, with AI? Cause it, it advances so quickly. Yeah. I don't know. And like, honestly, it's one of those things, like I'm not even super interested in thinking about it because it's just, it's so far above my head. Like it's funny too, because you know, I'm turning 36 this year and the question I've had the last couple of years is like, when am I going to feel myself start to pull away from, like you're just normal society because there's always a point every generation they they lose track of what's going on around them and that's where you get the like what yeah well what are you with the what what space you know just those old people that just never grasp the internet or never yeah. grasp the computer like i mean we have um what is it, like the metaverse now that is happening i don't know anything about it i've I never tried it about like it either I, on some some people I talk to like that's already there and some people it's like being built I don't even I don't and that's that's where I realized that <laughs> was just like this is it this is where I just slowly start to veer off from the rest of society because I probably will never get into that same thing with AI it's just like I already see pictures I'm like oh shit they're re-releasing the Pontiac and this all computer generated pictures on the internet like i'm just like this looks like a like someone took a real picture in a sunset like what am i looking at and suddenly i feel like i'm 60 you know just like i can't grasp it and so i'm just like man that's that's where i just stop thinking like let's just do what we know how to do and see where it gets us if we start interacting with that kind of stuff great if we don't also great and that's kind of that's where i'm at what is your process for songwriting um, it's a bit of a mixed box. A lot of times it will start with a guitar riff. Um, 
I tend to feel things out. Like, it really comes like that. Like, I'll play something like A riff or A chord that's just like, ooh. And it just, it hits something. Some light switch or some just connection. Um, <clears throat> and I like to use imagery. Like, you know, it's like a, a, a major seventh chord just kind of sounds like a sunset somewhere you know it's very relaxing it's very like kind of inspiring but in a very calm way and so you just start painting a picture like okay what is this what am I thinking right now and that's how the song starts like you just have a note and then you're like okay here's this picture let me pull some words off of this and then pretty much after that it's a complete guessing game you want to continue this feeling that you have and create a theme, an atmosphere for a whole song. And so like every chord you play next either helps build it or diminishes it, brings it up into like a happier place or kind of saddens the mood. And you just, you're taking one still image that you've made in your mind and spending the entire song describing it. That's, that's pretty much how I do it. And it's not as often as I'd like, and it's a little, honestly, it's a little bit more painstaking than it probably should be. But um, I feel like every song I write that way, it's just a little piece of me comes out of it at the end. And well, you're mining for something. Right. It's just like you don't even know what you're saying or what you're building at the time. But when you when you finally memorize the chords and you finally get those last like connection words together and you finally figure out, OK, I want to do I want to go up with the melody here and I want to kind of. You know, you try some loud or soft things. Once you figure that out and you, you memorize it and you play it the whole way through, like, confidently, it, like, I don't know, it kind of makes me cry a little bit. Because you're just playing stuff. You, like, you didn't even know how deep it was until you understood it. And it's, like I said, I'm trying to build a process that's a little bit more constructed because that's just very ADHD most of the time. But... The, I don't know, handful of songs I've written in the last couple of years are more real to me than probably anything I've ever written. Why do you think that is? Well, A, I'm writing less instruments. I think before I was so concerned with making every member of the band happy and like, okay, this has to be kind of complicated. We have to have a modulation here and we have to have harmonies here so that way everyone feels challenged, no one gets bored. Um, I mean, since the pandemic has started, all I've been doing is writing mo vocal melodies and acoustic guitar. Like, there hasn't been a single drum thought. There hasn't been a single electric guitar. And so when you take all those away, like, the message becomes so much clearer. And as a singer, this is probably the best advice I've ever gotten in my life, you know, because up until then, I've always been a singer. But I've always been so concerned with writing good guitar parts that it creates a song that is not very good to sing on. It's very, like, in a box and square and constructed. You can't, you know, go on runs because the chord changes happen so much, you know, and all this stuff. Um, my friend Blessing, like, he just told me, he's like, dude, you're a singer. You need to stop worrying about all these chord changes. Like, don't worry if it's not interesting on guitar. Like, that's not your forte. You need to allow yourself a platform where your voice just does what it does best. You know, you can choose all these different melodies when you just have a steady, like, you know, one, four, five, like chord progression that moves around slowly. You can do so much with it. And you, that's what you see a lot in the better parts of Nashville. 
people write cheap songs all the time, but the really good ones, you don't even notice that they're doing simple guitar parts because you're just so captivated by their voice. And that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten because it changed everything about how I write. I still sometimes get in my own way. I'm like, I need to make it more interesting. You know, another guitar player, if I hire, they're not going to want to play it. But I have to like slow myself down and be like, this is not why you're here. You know, like you're not put on this earth to impress other guitar players. You're put on this earth to sing to people and draw them in and connect them. And it's, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I haven't written as many songs but they've become so much more substantial in my mind because the message is more personal, the vocals are more like dominant, and it just it takes a long time to rewrite what you've learned, how you think. It takes a long time. Well, it's a uh, for me, it's always an an ever changing process when it comes to to writing songs. It's similar in the way that you described, like you hit a certain chord or a certain series of notes and you're like, ooh, that makes me feel something. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah. And I think for me, I see things very cinematically. Like I always imagine a movie scene, like a world that was uh, created for, for a song. Um, and a big influence of mine is, is Quentin Tarantino in, nice. in his song choices in movies because he has such a varied soundtrack like there is a tarantino sound on his soundtrack but it's not any one genre or anyone's or any singular style um and because he has like surf rock he has funk he has soul he has rock he has country he has a little bit of everything and uh it creates a unique vision that really brings a world to life and like I've always seen my myself like as I've gotten older um as a, like a, a director of sorts I'm more of a director than than anything when I'm creating music cuz I can write parts for anything like bass guitar whatever uh, or come up with a vocal melody but for me it's all about the context of the song maybe the bass only hits on the one and that's all it does the entire song. Yeah. You know? Um, but does it have movement? Can you envision something when you listen to this? Because when I create, I shut my eyes and I try and see a world. Um, or, like, I wrote this song about a school shooter, dude, from the perspective of a school shooter. It's called Revenge of the Prom Night Virgin. <laughs> um <laughs> that's the only funny thing about it is the title it is so fucking dark but it, it's such a negative uh inward emotion of like hatred yeah and i i, I and it's an emotion i feel i've never wanted to shoot up a school or anything like that but i tried to put that feeling on steroids and be like what is this person what do they see and what do they think yeah. and it's just pure nihilism you know what I mean? Life is pure shit. Life is never going to be good. And I can I can get into those modes for sure, but I was really trying to to tap into this this ugliness. I had this weird dream where uh, there was a zombie apocalypse and I was outside of this shell gas station that was right next to a movie theater. 
and Theo Vaughn was backing up a car and like running out, running over zombies. And that was the only time I saw him in the dream. But I walked into this dream and there were there was a satanic ritual going on. And there were these two really hot girls making out and they were naked. All right. And they wanted they wanted to bang me, but I knew it was a bad idea because uh, they were going to try and fucking sacrifice me or some shit. Um, so worse ways to go. <laughs> there are worse ways to go for sure. It's the Viking way. Just take it. Um, but I ran out into the middle of this zong- zombie apocalypse and just started fighting all of these zombies. Um, and then I woke up. Um, but Damn. yeah, it's just like there was some emotion that I felt from that dream that I was trying to capture. I'd also watched uh, this Rob Zombie movie called Lords of Salem. Have you ever seen it before? Mm-mm. Okay, so uh, it's about Sherry Moon Zombie. She basically moves into this um, apartment or lives in this apartment where these witches are, this old witch coven that is trying to take revenge on the, the town of Salem. It's this whole thing. Um, but it's really a really weird, fucked up, freaky movie. There's a scene where like a baby... Uh, like a demon baby has an umbilical cord and he's like shaking it and there's a scene where the devil's jerking off in this chair and wearing like this pope hat it's super fucked up um but great great movie um but yeah that was another thing that kind of inspired me because it's like pure ugliness yeah you know what i mean yeah and i think that's what what interests me it's like the worst of the worst in our society. How do they see the world? What is reality to them? It's definitely the most misunderstood. Like, we all, I feel like we all have the same kind of reaction. Like, oh, I felt that, you know, when I was in school, but I never did that. So it's it's like impossible to figure out where that connection point is to where, like, you feel like everyone hates you and you can't get anywhere with anybody and you're a loser and you're a reject and you're not getting laid. You know, you're not getting laid, you're getting pushed around, you're getting made fun of, you're getting like th- thrown things at. Like where that's the one thing that none of us have figured out. And I mean, I don't think any of us really try that hard to figure out, but it's an interesting like thought process for a song because it's like you're reaching for that understanding like what does what what connection happens there where you're just like all right this is it i'm going in there well it's dark as fuck there's all of these horrible fucked up things that happen into the world that are tragedies that i feel like we breeze over as a society we we get mad about it we cry about it, whatever. It happens, and then it happens again and again and again. There's right. there's no never an understanding of what that ugliness truly is. Well, it's because, like, to understand something is to... What is the word I'm looking for? It's to diminish some of the evil of it. Yeah. You know, you... And I think that's where people get mixed up. It's like we're not trying to understand so that we can forgive them. We're trying to understand to where we can pursue preventative measures. 100%. Exactly. And I think in the past when I've talked about it just with friends or 
um, random people or whatever, they always are like, why would you ever want to understand that? Well, it's like, my whole thing is how can we make this never happen again? Right. Um, and people, everybody has a bunch of different fucking opinions on it. Of course, it's banned guns or this or that. But at the end of the day, these are human beings and it, it's a, a mental health problem. There, there's well, it's also like the door's been open. That's an option. Now, yeah, you know? exactly. Like, there's, I mean, I feel like school shootings relatively have gone on for many decades, but like it's just become an option now. Which and, is in the past twenty years, it's become scary. big. It's like the school shooting era really started with Columbine when that whole thing happened. Yeah. Um, and then over time, or even like just mass shootings in general, like yeah. it, it's fucking crazy to think about the Vegas shooting. That's where Danny's from. Oh wow. Um, we still know very little about that. We don't know shit about that. That to me is fucking crazy. Yeah, you know, like uh, nobody really talks about it anymore. It's it's the biggest mass shooting in American history. Yep, and no further questions. Like the FBI, whatever, no further questions, or at least public knowledge. It's like I imagine they found some shit that probably either didn't make them a look good or something that they were guilty of in that scenario. Um, not saying it's a whole big conspiracy theory. This guy had all kind of gambling shit. Who knows? Maybe he was like an informant for them or some shit and went haywire and they're just trying to cover their fucking tracks. I mean, it could be as simple as just like maybe he had a rejected application for a gun. Yes. You know, yeah. that's the that's literally the smoking gun for, you know, gun reform. Well, I think when people are insane, um, we could try to figure it out all day long. This is kind of contradicting what I've already said. But if someone <laughs> if someone is crazy, then they're just fucking crazy. Sometimes there yeah. might be a million reasons why they're crazy. Maybe they had a shit life. Maybe they had mental illness on top of that. But we really don't know. At the end of the day, like there is, whenever that shit happens, like I think what what I'm into with not into with it, but what what I'm curious about, what I'm interested in. It's going back to that ugly emotion of where do you cross that line? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes part of me is just like, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the inability to understand the reality as it's happening as a child. Like, honestly, I didn't even really understand mortality until I turned 30. I don't know what it is, but you cross some kind of line when you turn 30 and you're just like, dude, I've got to start walking. Like, yeah. I got to stop skating. I've got to stop doing all this crazy stuff, jumping from moving cars. Like, I got to start walking and going to bed early. Like, in my 20s, you just like, you, this in my 20s, you just never imagined broken bones or death by accident. Like, friends of mine have died from like skateboarding accidents or overdoses or whatever but like you you don't imagine it happening to you and so when you're even younger i don't think and, and i'm not placating anything but it's just like it's i could never imagine holding a gun and understanding what i'm about to do really you know i don't know yeah it's it's a head trip to uh to think about um where can people find you 
Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, J.Saturday is the uh, personal account. I actually right now post a lot of my stuff through there just because uh, the touch isn't hasn't really formally like reformed yet. Um, I'm also like a day old on TikTok, so I'm trying to kind of get that stuff started again. What is what is your TikTok? Um, I actually don't even memorize. I think it would. I think it's the same thing, but I'll have to actually have to double check. I don't actually know. I don't have anything on there yet either, so there's not any reason to really go through there. But um, J Saturday on Instagram, Saturdingus on Twitter. <laughs> nice. Um, I just I usually just joke around and make weird puns on there, and that's pretty much it for now. Where can people see you playing at? Uh, this Sunday, uh, 12 to 4, we'll be back at Big Machine. I think we're probably playing before you guys again. Yeah. Um, the following Tuesday, I'll be doing an acoustic set, um, Riders Round at uh, Neighbors in Sylvan Park at 9 o'clock. Um, and then the 28th, we'll be back at the Big Machine also. So, it's kind well, of. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. I feel like this is kind of full circle. I know. It's just actually like probably one of the like most more uplifting like experiences i've had so far coming back you just start you know reconnection is what it feels like yeah that's nice that's good keep on dreaming see you next week